Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series. We have the CEOs Forum, leaders who have the chance to either be a CEO or work with CEOs, and, and the kind of issues that boards and top teams are dealing with at the moment. This session is about meetings and the future of work and what goes on. We've got some general conversation, but really it's just lovely to have leaders who can raise certain issues and talk about themes. We'll just do a quick round robin so people can introduce themselves, what they've done before and what they're doing now, just in a minute or two. Uh, and then we'll go into the first question. So, James, will you begin by your introduction? Yeah, good afternoon, Jonathan. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, as Jonathan says, I'm James Bashel. I retired from the military three years ago after serving for 34 years. And in my retirement, I've decided to pursue a classic portfolio style of lifestyle. I work in the charity sector with the Royal British Legion, and then I work for myself as an uh, independent consultant, and I work for a, a number of companies on a number of boards, largely in the technology sector, as it's transpired. And then I look, I've looked beyond military service for a better balance of my life with my family and also to pursue some of my interests. Yeah, very nice. Well, thanks, James. And uh, it's, it's a real honour to have you on this series. You bring a, a wealth of experience. I've been a general in the army but also your time with the parachute regiment which uh very fine organization emma how about you it's lovely to have you on the series explain to me if you would about sec newgate and your role thank you very much so um i'm delighted to join you today i am the chief executive of sec newgate uk with responsibility for the uk and americas and uh, we're a global communications agency and then beyond that in the charity sector I'm chair of target ovarian cancer and deputy chair of the Elton John AIDS foundation um, so my whole life is uh, surrounds trying to help create um, positive outcomes for organizations one way or another. That's brilliant and Gary, Gary C. Laney it's great to have you on here you've just published a book please tell us about your book and the interesting role you have. Oh well thank you so much Jonathan um, so my name is Gary Laney is uh, Jonathan alluded, I'm uh, kind of a 40 year veteran in business. I, I kind of grew up in a family business, learned everything that you'd ever learn in a business from my father. I got my first MBA, I always say from him. Uh, for the last uh, 20 years, I, so I spent a bunch of time in high tech, James. So I'd love to know more about what you're doing. And I uh, was VP of sales for several companies, some one that went public, several that got acquired by Oracle, et cetera. So I have, you know, still a pretty big presence in the high-tech arena. Um, today, I'm a business advisor for a couple of companies, including a high-tech company. I'd written a book uh, that Jonathan mentioned. It's called The Power of Strategic Influence, if you can see on the... the uh, we can see that. Yeah, so it, it, this is a compilation of 40 years of teaching, aggregating of information from mentors like Stephen Covey, who was a mentor of mine. If you've heard, ever heard of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, great people that I've had in my life. Um, but, uh, and then I spent the time in high tech and then in the last 20 years, basically I've been doing my own thing. I've been a serial entrepreneur, been involved in 20 different businesses. Um, I got to know Brian back in the day, almost 20 years ago. So I have great uh, relationships like people like him. And in my book, I also interviewed, Brian's on the back there, if you can see it. <laughs> so 20, uh, 12 uh, outstanding, exceptional CEOs that uh, are mostly globally known and and great people like Brian. So thank you. That's great. No, lovely to have you on here. I'll get Brian to introduce himself and after that, Sam and then Sharon. So Brian, tell us a bit about yourself and thank you for calling in like uh, Gary from America. 
Of course, Jonathan, thank you. Gary, thanks for the warm words. And James, thank you and Jonathan for, for your service. Uh, so Brian J. Esposito, over the last 20 years, I built what is now a holding company. There's over 75 entities in it as of the end of last month. They continue to grow and we continue to acquire more and more of these companies. Uh, over 150 joint ventures around the world and operating in over 25 different industries. Uh, so you know, it was a mess of a journey. I, I think I figured out a really good model and uh, ecosystem. Uh, but what I love to do with this chapter of my life is take everything that I've built. So that's my experiences, my partnerships, my companies, resources, relationships. And I get to work with startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies and put these companies on a great trajectory to learn how to make money, grow from their cash flows, be properly valued at, uh, of creating, by creating positive earnings, and really just creating those win-win, add value partnerships that you know, rising tide raises all boats. And uh, it, it's, this is the first time in my career that I'm very happy and love what I do. And I love to help companies and people succeed and accomplish their dreams. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian. And it's a lovely setting in your home there. I'm so envious. One day I will come and visit you. <laughs> I will turn up. Head on over. We've got a spot for you. <laughs> right, there you are. And Sam, Sam Mercer, it's great to have you. Just tell us the amazing work you're doing at the moment, things like HS2, but what you do, Sam. Hi. So, yeah, Sam Mercer, I'm the, the COO of Plant Force Rentals. Uh, we're a, a national plant provider across the UK, both uh, machinery and labour. Um, we're kind of uh, a day-to-day -day spot hire company for, for local business, uh, but we also have a, a very large uh, role in major projects across the country, um, mostly known for, for work at Hinkley Point C, um, where we've had around 250 people and 300 machines working day-to-day -to, -day to build the, the power station there. Uh, and recently on HS2, where we're kind of starting to ramp up the works now. Fascinating. Thanks, Sam. Good to have you on here. And Sharon, a real honor to have you on. Would you tell us the many things that you're doing? You, you have <laughs> well, all sorts of fires too. Yeah, we've only got a few minutes, so uh, perhaps I won't go through the whole gamut. But um, I started out life um, uh, as a nurse and then trained as a doctor. Uh, I then specialised in clinical microbiology. And what that means is I kind of uh, help to run diagnostic laboratories and also treat and advise the treatment of patients with infectious diseases and think about infection prevention and control in hospitals. I then really specialised in research and my area of, of, of special interest is, is sequencing of pathogens and what you can do with that information. So at the moment, I'm a professor of, micro, uh, of microbiology at the University of Cambridge. And I also direct the COVID-19 Genomics um, UK Consortium. That's the group of people that generate all of the SARS-CoV-2 genomes for public health agencies in the UK and use that to try and steer uh, the pandemic. So that consortium uh, was built uh, back in March 2020. It's got about 600 people. My experience of, of management is different in that most of those people are volunteers. Um, it's a coalition of the willing. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're very proud that we generated that, that data for the country. So in addition to that, I'm a non-exec director on the board of, of Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. I've been there for six years and I also chair the Quality and Safety Committee. Finally, since, this, since the pandemic, I've actually uh, trained as a Samaritan listener, um, sort of being very much aware that, uh, that mental health is really, um, a, a, you know, suffering uh, as a result of the pandemic I took the decision to uh, to, to train and I'm very honoured actually to to be a Samaritan listener now. Wow. Deep that was a short version. <laughs> no but deep respect for so, so many of what all of you do but yourself too Sharon and mm. I don't know how you managed to fit in time to be a Samaritan as well um, but 
thank you for that. Um, I, I think mental health is such a big issue. Well, look, there's many topics we can discuss. And as you can all tell to the um, 185,000 people who will be listening to this in 55 different countries around the world, it's such a, a lovely collection of experience and variety and difference. And so we just thought we'd have a chat about the future of work and meetings, bloody meetings, you know, that we're all having these, these back-to-back meetings. Um, the, the first question we're going to have a, a round with, starting with James, is um, how is the future work going to develop, do you reckon, in all the different sectors that you work in, James? Hybrid, full office, or mainly remote first, as they talk about it. Uh, what's, what's your experience, James? Will you take a couple of minutes just to share your thoughts? Jonathan, I think it's going to depend on where you work, and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all here. I think on the, I mean, if you look, if I, if I had to drop a balance sheet of how I observed things in the last 18 months, I mean, on the one hand, OPEX is, is down. So profits are up because travel costs, subsistence costs are down. And in some cases, by millions and millions of pounds, because we're not traveling by air. I think depending on who you are, you've got an opportunity to work in a more balanced way, to work from home if that suits you, to work your way if you wish. Uh, and, and that's, that's a, a freedom. But I think it's also a constraint, and we're just talking about people being isolated. I think in a negative side, what I've seen is uh, a breakdown of trust, people not being able to see each other physically, uh, perhaps to to, to socialise physically, and a breakdown of trust on some boards because people aren't with each other. And also in some aspects of what I've seen, or some areas, I've seen a, a lack of creativity because essentially human beings work best I think face-to-face working in teams whiteboarding and that sort of thing so I sort of sense it's almost too early to tell and it will depend where you are and what opportunities you've got and I think one of the challenges HR directors are going to face in the in the in the coming months is trying to work out how they're going to remunerate those who decide to work their way so if it suits you to work from a beach in Portugal and you can generally suggest or prove that you are as productive as, as if you come into the office, then that 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 may be possible. But I, I sense there's going to be tension because I sense we will return to an environment in which people will be paid the most who come into the office the most. That's my sense of it. I, I'm not certain of that. but I So I think there's going to be a tension for HR directors trying to work out how to pay people fairly based on uh, you know a... a an adjustment to the workforce now over time as people get used to this and see opportunities. And I've just you know, outlined some, and, and I'm sure others will have lots of other, other thoughts on this, but uh, it, it, I, I, my, my deepest thought is it's going to be, it depends who you are and where you work and what workforce you're in. Yeah, uh, so true, James. And uh, with the different organisations that Lee and I work with, uh, some of the HR directors are leaving it very flexible, where particularly in the tech companies that you and I work with, a number of them, uh, the, the more famous ones, I'll leave the names out, but they, they start to be very dictatorial about back to the office. It's going to be, it's going to be how it's going to be. And whole teams of people left them. And they went, oh, no, no, stop, stop. We'll make it more flexible. And they realized they just couldn't be too dictatorial about how it is. And then they sort of said, oh, well, we'll sort of make it that, you know, doesn't matter where you are, you know, you'll be paid the same. Or what about the, the waiting for when you worked in London or didn't work in London or worked in New York or not? And yeah, it they haven't sorted out yet. And no one really yet knows. I think it's very interesting points. Thanks, James. Uh, Emma, what's what's your thoughts on this topic of future of work, uh, the hybrid full office, remote first? You know, you've got to do the same with your teams, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I think it's about setting the rules. I think people, if it's too wishy-washy, I think it creates 
tensions in a business because there are some people who will then be wondering why other people haven't come in and so on. And, and that sort of sense of uh, presenteeism creeps in. Um, so I think you, you need strong boundaries, but I think the good parts of it, the flexibility that has allowed, for example, um, people with disabilities to be um, brought into the workplace because they, they, they can participate remotely. So when I say brought in, I mean, you know, through technology and so on. So um, I think there's, there's some great things, but I think that flexibility has to work both ways for uh, employers and employees. So team members need to know that if they're allowed to work two days a week um, remotely, that they shouldn't necessarily organize all of their um, personal commitments around that so that, that if they're needed to come in different days, particularly if they're, as I am in a sort of service industry where you have to meet client needs, um, you know, you need that flexibility if somebody needs you in on a Thursday rather than a Monday to do that. So I think, um, I think it should allow more people to be part of the workforce now um, and but as James said, that that sort of cultural glue that I think for many organisations, because we've all sort of worked together and been together, it's it's got us through, and we we you know we can operate virtually for for a while. But the new people coming into businesses who don't or organisations don't have the benefit of that cultural glue, um, I think you know are 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 much less likely to stay with an organization i think it's going to be so i think i think we need you know we really need to get back around the table we need to um understand what makes each other tick and then and then once again you can you can have uh, more remote working but i mean personally just just very quickly i'm i'm kind of mourning that that time between meetings because we're just sort of going from one to the, to another on zoom you don't have that time to think to sort of process what's just happened um and i think for some people you you, you go from being um a um you know a, a chief executive to a mother or wife or whatever like that rather than actually having the time to sort of decompress before you go into mm. uh, and you can't behave in the office the way you do at home and vice versa and i think uh, um you know that 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 space to change roles is quite quite important as well so yeah um i think that it, it, it's still we're still as we as we had to sort of learn quickly to do it remotely i think we're going to have to now learn a new way of working which is which is different again but there are, there are lots of good things to take from it yeah no so you raised some some very good points and this this point of, and speaking personally, I've become more efficient in the series of meetings and now Calendly puts them in my diary or people put their things in my diary, which suits them. But the danger is you can have back-to-back meetings, you know, five in a mm. row. And this I is keep where, saying to, yeah, sorry. I say to, I say to my team, you know, you've got to treat yourself like you are your most important client so that you actually build in some time to think in the day. But it is it's quite a difficult discipline. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And this, this time to decompress, this time to think, because you're paid to think, not to be busy, but people are far too busy. Uh, it's a point that you and I have spoken about. Emma, great, great points. Thank you. Gary, what's, what's your thoughts on this topic of uh, the future of work? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think it's, it's pertinent. It's also very important for us to figure out you know, how it's going to work. I think that uh, James and Emma both had really good points. I think it's one thing we haven't brought up yet is generation. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the new generation is starting to think that remote is standard, it's default. And they don't, haven't really experienced some of the, you know, the, the experience that you have being in the presence of a person in a team. Team, In my experience, I've been involved in teams my entire career. 
And I think you have to understand that teams, uh, you know, it's fine to have this kind of a meeting and, I, and I'm grateful for it. The technology is wonderful. Um, I've grown up in technology. I think it's important. But there's something about those days where you could close the door, say, let's have a private meeting. And, the, you know, the, just the, the, uh, the act of doing that, you know, the, the close of the door, being able to sit and have a serious meeting together was something that we, we, I think we all took for granted back when we had it. And today we don't uh, have that luxury. And so now we're being told what we can, we can't, what we can't do. And so there's a lot of rules that we don't establish for ourselves that our people are establishing for us. And that's really difficult, I think. So I think uh, that mental part that, uh, that Sharon talked about is, is so critical. But just my experience. Um, so in the companies I'm involved with, I'm involved with companies that are less than a million dollars, US up to billions of dollars. And uh, the larger companies um, tend to be much more flexible for their employees. The smaller companies are mandating more because they want to have that team. They're not big teams to begin with. I mean, they might have 10 to 20 employees. And so they feel like there's an importance to be together. And, they're, and so they're being careful to make sure that when they come into work that they're, they're healthy. The larger companies are trying to stay alive. I have a son that works for Google. I have a son that works uh, for Thumbtack here in the US, which is a contractor kind of company where you need help for, with something in your house. You call and they'll assign some contractor to you. But he used to work for Uber, which is a multinational company. Uh, he's the kind of the controller CFO type. And uh, his company, Thumbtack, today has said everyone works from home. The CEO, they have, they have buildings. I don't know what they're doing with their buildings, but they're not using them. And so everyone is working from home. My son-in-law has not met most of the people on his team or people that he's hired in person. And there's, there's something uh, I think you miss by not being able to have that physical presence again. So, so I, what I'm seeing is a hybrid. So if you want to know the truth from what I'm seeing, so companies are, are being more flexible. There's a hybrid of being able to work at home. I have a son that just worked. He's a electrical engineer that just graduated from college. He just started a job with a law firm as a patent engineer. And so he has the luxury of staying home twice a week. Uh, but this morning he decided to go, he didn't have to go to work today. He could work from home. He's staying with us for a few weeks. He decided, oh, I'm gonna go to work. And I said, why? He says, because I can separate what I do at home uh, from work. And uh, he says, so it's just helpful. It's a better mindset for me. It's more mentally healthy for me. So I'm going to the office today. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was interesting perspective. Very, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, very interesting, Gary. Thank you. Fascinating and, and all those insights. Um, Brian, then, and, and maybe Sam, you could talk about the, uh, after Brian, the, um, what it's like being out on the ground as well as in the office, because you've got so many people out there. That'd be quite interesting to hear your view. Brian, what's your experience uh, of the many different organizations you're working with? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you no opinion, just what we battle and what we deal, deal with. So got to get people back to work. Uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, a lot of the big tech companies we work with, their productivity is down 40%. And they're like, as James mentioned, there's a lot of projects and tests that you just need people in the same room to get it done and get the product tech solution yeah. piece of IP into development and into production and then into the, into the market. Uh, the other thing is it, those local economies. Uh, by these employees not being going to their, their work, place of work, the small mom and pop retailers are not getting support from people walking around the restaurant and service industries and nail salons. Everything starts to domino down uh, and it affects the entire local economy. Therefore, it, ex it affects global economy. Um, but I, uh, there, there does need to be balance. I, I love the fact that people don't have to spend two hours a day commuting. 
So you, you, if you can take those two hours or sometimes more, maybe a little less and utilize your time and be more efficient in taking meetings. So, you know, I, I do like the idea of maybe it's not a nine to five, five days a week, maybe just one or two days a week where the employee or the workforce can stay home and do tasks that they don't need to necessarily be doing in person. Uh, I, I, I do like that model. Plus all the, the money and technology and, play, and you know, things like Zoom and all these different uh, pieces of uh, conferencing, these companies are investing a lot of money into bringing that tech into their into their uh, workforce. So you, you want to make sure that, that investment is used and, and it's helping people across the board be able to, uh, to do their work. And the last thing I'll touch on is because we were one of our companies, Nodal, we built the world's largest wireless network. We saw these companies needing people back to the workforce. So we, we took all of our tech and development and we created a a contact tracing device called the N1 Privacy Focus, which can help any company uh, deal with infectious diseases, where if somebody that is sick, whatever they have, uh, goes to work and HR is notified that that person is sick, HR can notify every other employee that was in close proximity of that infected person. So the, the, the importance of this is like the Tyson plants, the, the huge warehouses, factories, production lines, they don't have to tell everybody to stay home because one person is sick of some sort of infectious disease. If that person was only near 5, 10, 15, 20 people, then the hundred or thousands of people can continue to go to work and that company can continue to produce. So, um, you know, long story long, I, we got to get people back to work, but I do like the idea of having a little more work-life balance. Yeah, great. Thanks, Brian. Sam, what are you finding? Um, you got a lot of people out on the ground at different sites and you got a, a few in the offices. What, what's your experience? Um, well, at the moment, it hasn't changed that much on the ground, apart from, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot more facilities on site now. Uh, they're not as, as crammed into the, to the welfare units as they used to be. Ultimately, uh, with our business, somebody has to check over a piece of equipment, you know, in, and contact it. Somebody has to deliver it, and then somebody has to get in and, and drive it. So um, in, terms of, in terms of that, you know, I suppose... 90% of our workforce cannot work remotely. If the machine breaks down, they have to attend it. So um, for that, you know, it's just been, uh, I suppose it was the battle of making them feel safe uh, and, and making sure they are safe and that, you know, we all had a, we, were, we weren't putting them into situations that put them or their families at risk, which was hard. Um, but in terms of the office, really, we, we, um, we haven't worked remotely very much. Um, really the, the efficiency of our business uh, it runs on on people being in the same room and in constant communication, um, and and we actually, you know, I suppose we we were the kind of COVID worst nightmare. Really, you know, we are open plan offices, all of them, um, because we need people to overhear conversations and we need people to work together, um, and that's that's how the efficiency of our business runs. So it's um, it's very hard. You know, we use technology as much as we could, and you know, account, accounts worked from home. Uh, sales work from home, you know, any division that we could, but in terms of the kind of engine room of the of the business, um, it does rely on us all working together. And, you know, I, I was a bit worried a minute ago you were asking me a question because everybody's laughing in the office. It's Friday afternoon and they're quite, <laughs> you know, I did notice I'm probably the only person in an office on this call. Um, but you know, that's a nice thing, you know, people, um, people missed it. You know, not everybody has a um, a packed social life and for some people this is the social element of their life um, uh, um, but everybody's here having a, a good laugh this afternoon you know the last 20 minutes before they pack up and go home which is really really nice and something we, we did miss when we were 
at home for sure. Yeah, beautiful, Sam. That, that really gives a, a lovely taste of reality. Thank you for that. And Sharon, on to you. I mean, yeah. all, the, all these volunteers and all the different things you're seeing. What's your view? Mm. Well, I guess that um, many of the environments I work in, people need to go to uh, to labs or to hospitals to do the job of work that they're employed to do. So nurses, doctors, um, uh, you don't get a viral genome unless you go to the lab and load up the machine and, and press, you know, put it on. So my experience has been that many of the people that, you know, I, I, I work with are actually have been out there since the beginning of um, the pandemic working, which has been a quite, quite a different experience to office work. But actually, my, my, because I'm mainly involved in kind of management and governance and, and so on, I have actually largely been uh, on the end of the Zoom and my my um, my reflection really is that uh, I feel as if I've done uh, uh, more work. The quantity of work I've done has gone up because instead of commuting, I just get straight onto my computer first thing, and that's it. But I want I worry about the quality of the work. So I think that by always being on a Zoom call, I think I think there's a risk that the quality of the work that you produce can actually go down. And you also get incredibly fatigued being on Zoom calls. You know, back to back to back. You know. Uh, um, a day with 10 Zoom calls is not, is not my favourite. But I think going back to, so, so it's, it's going to come down to, I think, what James said about it depends where you're working as, as to what the solution is going to be. So it's going to be quite different. But one of the things I think, um, coming back to mental health, is I think that people will have lost their confidence potentially to go into the office. They see it as a risk and, and doing whatever we can to both support choice but actually build confidence over time. And, you know, Brian was talking about the use of, of technology uh, to, 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 you know, monitor the workplace. And, and the last 18 months have been really interesting because public health has become everybody's business. Uh, before, um, it wasn't really, you didn't really think about public health in the office in the same way. You have people to think about health and safety and so on. But now we're thinking in a completely different way. We kind of do, we do uh, finger prick tests at home we do no swabs at home we, we test ourselves people at work you know that you're doing tests at work you're and there's a completely different approach to to maintaining our health and I wonder whether really thinking about how we can embrace um, you know maintaining a, a, a COVID safe environment but using the technology that we have in order to inform our workforce and actually build their confidence actually and, and giving them the opportunity to test the waters Mm. Uh, and some people are going to be, you know, in the vulnerable category and some people are just going to be just jolly nervous um, about coming back, even if they don't have any risk factors. And you can understand that, actually. So for me, there's this kind of dialogue about how you build trust as well in, with your workforce and, and to ensure that, you know, you're running the best possible and safest environment for people so they can come back to work and make that choice. Yeah, a really good point. It sort of comes back to either whether it be Sam's environment at, at uh, Plant Force Rentals or whether it be BP and Shell, which is always about health and safety and hold the rail when you go down the stairs mm. and all this kind of stuff. Now it's, it's a whole extra raft of things that people need to think about, but you can't swamp them with too much because then they won't read it. If it's a, a book this thick, no yeah. one's going to read it. So it has to be practical and pragmatic. Uh, and that's the thing. We'll, we've probably got round, time for one more round and we'll, we'll sort of merge the second two questions we were thinking about about lessons from creating successful meetings, how, how you shorten meetings, because you don't want to be in back-to-back -back meetings. How, how do you make this meeting environment virtual or hybrid or real better, minimizing video fatigue, because it does have mental health impact? And, and how, how do you get sort of remote 
workplaces where you can go into if you haven't got an office anymore, uh, one-to-ones, uh, just any kind of thoughts on the on this topic? James, what, what would you, take a minute or two if you would. Yeah, okay, so I think first of all, one of the reasons that it takes so long is that you've lost the impromptu meetings in the office and you can often cover things very quickly. You meet someone, three things, you just sort it out and they're done. Now everything has to be programmed. Well, it doesn't have to be programmed, but largely because people are now programming things, everything is taking longer to, to meet and to get things done. And I think it can be, as, as we've already said, quite exhausting sitting through a day of that. And also you get long days because you're not commuting. So your work can start early and finish very late mm-hmm. and you're available constantly. So there's no sort of downtime. So there's a balance there. I think the other thing, there's a whole art to getting value out of a meeting like this. And you know, one of the things that some of the people I've worked for, I said screens on heads up. So it's, you can imagine some people could just turn the screen off and they could be then heads down and they're, and they're texting and doing something different or they're, I don't know, they're doing, they're doing something else away from focusing on the meeting. And so one of the things that some of is that screens on heads up. And when you speak on these sorts of means, there, there is, a, again, there's an art to it. And I, in, in general, we found that people speak for too long because they haven't got those sort of eyes looking at people that you sort of know when you, you, you've said enough and people are starting to want to interrupt. It's more difficult to interrupt and to stop. And so there's a whole skill and an art to, to getting the most out of these remote meetings that I think we're still learning about. And perhaps we all need to sort of educate ourselves a bit and, and think through very carefully the things that, and how we're going to have these meetings. Yeah, it is that old saying less is more. And um, yeah. the, the best leaders can say what they need to say succinctly. And I think you and I learned that in, in the military, James, that mm. some really fine leaders could say things in a couple of sentences mm. and you've really got it. Yeah, the extroverts speak in order to think and the introverts think in order to speak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James. Um, Emma, what's what's your thoughts on the, this this topic area? Um, I think it's deciding why you're having the meeting. So the agenda is obviously really important. What can be um, read in advance and is just there to note what's for discussion and um, and then um, I think you know things like putting finishing times on an agenda so everybody knows when they're going to get out. Uh, does the meeting have to be one hour long? Um, and and I think that's 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 something I always try and ask myself is is whether you know whether we can put a meeting in for twenty minutes rather than sixty. Um, and um, my my golden rule for meetings so as uh, never to get uh, nuked in one is never to have AOB. So I I always insist that anything that's going to be discussed circulate it in advance. Make sure that um everyone's had a chance to input and then if it's if it's not on the agenda then it gets put on the next one because i think we all know that it's the last five minutes of a meeting when people go oh just one more thing and and you're not prepared for it and uh, and so on so that's that's my my rule there um but uh, i think you know and, and minutes coming out or action points or whatever it may be from that meeting really quickly afterwards because too often i've seen it that they come out um, you know, just before the next one, in which t- case nobody's had a chance to follow up properly. But that's yeah. just a few a few thoughts there. And 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 the role of the chair is really important of a meeting, making sure that everybody gets heard. Um, and there's actually, you know, that the points being made are going to help you conclude whatever the, the item is on the agenda, not just wandering off into their own particular um, hobby horse. Yeah, it's it's really good. And uh, working with a few global companies, and when we 
facilitate a session like this, there's always a timekeeper. I have, deliberately haven't done one because it's too formalized now, but there's a timekeeper and they, they give them 60 seconds. And when there's 10 seconds to go, someone's putting their hand up for 10 seconds to go and time out. Because otherwise they will take everybody else's time. And, and you need this equality of time. This is why doing a round like we're doing now is so useful, but not all the time. Sometimes have open discussion where anybody can speak at different times, but then back to the round to draw in the introverts who often feel they don't want to say, but they often have the quietest ones in the room, often have the best ideas. But the final one, I love your one on AOB before I go on to, um, to Gary, is um, burning issues round at the end of a session before you appreciate equality about a person to your right or about the meeting or about the team is a burning issues round. What is a topic, one question that we haven't discussed today that is so important, we must discuss it next time. And that gives you your agenda for next time, for which you can sort through. So don't ask anybody, send in points for next year. They never do. So you end up with nothing. But a burning issue round is what are the things that we haven't discussed, which are really important that we must discuss next time. And then you can choose the one topic from that. So, so great, I mean, you've triggered me on a number of things. Gary, what's, what's your thoughts in a, a minute or two? Um, well, two thoughts came to mind, and that's its purpose and preparation. So I, I'm in the business of these days of putting people together in networking businesses. And so we had, you know, talking about the time, we had an exact time amount of, that we would spend time together, an hour and a half, for example. Uh, we did have a timer uh, when people introduced themselves, when they, had, when they provided, you know, some kind of input or had a question, they had a certain amount of time to, to discuss it. Uh, I used to be in the speaking business when I was professionally speaking. They used to have guys at the back would tell you, you know, a sign come up, say you have 15 minutes. The crowd couldn't see it, but you could see it. Five minutes. And then it was an H, which means your history. If you don't hurry up and finish up. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you have to take, uh, I think, coming in, being prepared, but having a, uh, an idea of what the purpose of our meeting is. I mean, how many times have you been in a meeting? You have no idea what we're doing here. So what is your specific purpose? I think you should be able to relay that ahead of time so that you're prepared to come and, and succinctly say what you want to say. Uh, we used to have stand-up meetings. Anybody ever used to do that? Yeah, yeah. Why would you have yeah. a stand-up meeting? Because you knew you, you didn't want to stay there for long. Don't get too comfortable in your seat. You know, uh, this should be a stand-up meeting. It should last 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. Uh, the guys used to have bathroom meetings. <laughs> so you know, five minute meeting, what can you do in five minutes? If you had five minutes to be able to relay what you wanted to say and, and ask a question and get a decision, you know, what would you say in five minutes? So that's kind of my, my yeah. feedback. Great tips, Gary. Thank you. Brian, what's your experience in this meetings and uh, videos and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a, I have a luxury that maybe employees and workforce don't have. If they have a Zoom meeting, they got to go on it. Uh, some of the things Emma said, I, I think are oh, spot on and I love. So I, I saw early on when this crisis started, people that I knew for 10, 15, 20 years that I've talked to on the phone all the time, upset that, hey, why isn't your camera on? And I, and I started thinking, as I overanalyzed everything, I'm like, what is going on here with the psyche of people and where, where are we moving into? Uh, to, and to me, this is another way of us just becoming more desensitized and numb and not having real interaction. I don't use the Instagrams of the world. I don't, I don't play in that world. And, and therefore, yes, there are times where I have to be on Zoom calls, but they are 20 minute calls and we need to get done. We need to get done. And then before we leave that call, everybody right then and there plans the next call. So it's already on the calendar and we keep that in, in motion. But I'm an old school. I'll call you on the phone. I'll do my calls uh, walking around and we'll, we'll, we'll get business done. We'll laugh a couple of times and, and then that's it. But to me, this is an, 
this is a scary medium uh, as far as another way of separating people uh, from from each other. Uh, but that's what's happening. I'm not going to be the one guy that changes that, but I, I cannot let it affect me and make sure that I can still have some social skills in the world and not just work in 2D. I, I, I need to be out in the world. I need to have people around me. And uh, uh, but this is a necessary evil now. So the, you know, those yeah. are my thoughts. Okay, that's great. And, and you've triggered um, a book I've just finished reading uh, this morning um, called uh, Brainwashing. Uh, by a father and son, they're two doctors, quite an interesting one. And they talk about disconnection syndrome. That, that, that's not just happened because of the pandemic, but because of technology and all that goes on. And, and you know, just giving kids the chance to be in the woods um, for five days without any technology. And they have to develop social skills, which they're not. I think it's, it's really quite interesting. Thanks, Brian. Sam, anything that you'd want to add about sort of, you know, you've got to have lots of meetings and things like that. And without the technology, what's your views? Yeah, um, you know, I don't, I'm not to repeat what people have already said, uh, I think the biggest success we have with some of our, with some of the things we did over the past you know, 12, 18 months was just just making them personal, really. Um, we did lots of things through, through furlough and, uh, and through lockdown where, uh, say, myself and Claire, the CEO here, we would log into a Zoom meeting for, for two hours and just hand it out to the, to the staff and see if they logged in. And if they logged in, answer questions, have a chat. Um, see if they, you know, if they were on furlough, answer any worries they had. And even now, I think we, we've done a lot with agendas and timings and, and that's great. It's really productive, but you, you lose that human element from it. Uh, and a lot of the time we put 10 minutes on the end of the meeting, if it's a large one, and, and, and that's just for conversation or for someone to tell a story or to someone, you know, if someone's had a major life event, uh, you know, a wedding over the weekend, you know, tell us about it and actually just, just, just make sure you get that that one-to-one -one conversation sometimes, and you know, because it can just be, you know, you know, not every meeting has to be an hour. Of course, you know, people love scheduling an hour, um, but uh, yeah, keep them short, but also just try and make them personal and, and actually get people talking. You know, it's, yeah. it's been great for us. I think the feedback's been great from that. Well, that's that's great. Thanks, Sam. Before I go to, to Sharon, just to give uh, James a heads up for our final sort of uh, ten to twenty seconds. Uh, I'd just be interested in a burning issue round, really. If we were to have another session of uh, the CS Forum, what is a topic that's really pertinent at the moment that we should be discussing that we haven't yet discussed? So um, if you have nothing, you can say pass. But if, if there is a topic for the burning issue round, uh, let me know after Sharon goes. Sharon, what's, what's your thoughts on the whole area of meetings and videos and things like this? Well, what I think sort of pretty much echoes what other people have already said. So I think going back to Emma, I think... You know the agenda why are we having this meeting if you don't know what it what why you're having it don't do it second of all um i think that you can actually make all meetings 45 minutes or 30 minutes and then don't cram another 30 minute meeting after the last 30 minute meeting uh, i'll often drop someone an email and say i think we can cover this in 20 minutes and that sets expectations that we're not going to spend 45 minutes talking about it we're going to spend 20 minutes or less talking about it i think you can use the chat quite effectively some people like to you know have their voice heard but actually, if you if you say put what you think in the chat and then you can pick up some things that you think are pertinent and that relevant that you want to discuss. But it does it does avoid kind of discussing irrelevance, actually. But people can still make their voice heard and, you know, you can record that in the meeting. I think that um, that we shouldn't be afraid of trying to think dynamically about the meetings that we're having and change them. 
So, I mean, I, I'm living in a very dynamic world. And I think that over the last few months, my diary changes quite a lot. So it's, it's not common to have the same meeting every week for kind of many months because I have to change it. And I think that being really reviewing the meetings that recur so that you're in a very dynamic situation, I think, can really keep things fresh. Um, phone calls I, I use quite a lot. So if I want to decide something over five minutes, I'll say, let's have a phone call you know, to my team and I'll go outside and walk. <laughs> um, it was fine until I got stung by a wasp recently. That wasn't quite so good, but uh, that sort of interrupted the phone call. But I think phone calls can be very effective when you get out and you get some fresh air. I think I think last thing I think, you know, picking up on making things uh, uh, sociable. And so there's probably 10 things you could or 10 or 15 things you could think about to do on a on a Zoom call that actually brings people together and make it feel like we're together. So, for example, you can do a pet count. Often, if you say, how many pets have you got in your room? Uh, actually, uh, the, la the last time I did that, there were more pets than people on the Zoom call. And everybody kind of found that really amusing. They kind of showed their pets and so on. So thinking about how to bring out the social side of us. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do that, because otherwise you're just like a kind of, I think someone's already said a bit like a robot. Mm. So, um, you know, I... I have thought about this quite a lot and there's there's a few things that 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 you can do to yeah help the pain of zoom that's great well look we're going to go around and do the um what i call the uh, the burning issue round of what what is a topic that perhaps we should have a discussion about in a future one of these forums but when we come back around to you at the very end sharon if you might think perhaps of what life is going to be like as you sort of anticipate how we should think about covid and how we handle it in our work environment. Any thoughts you have at the end would be welcome. Uh, you've triggered for me, before I go into James, of um, two thoughts. You and I have done walking meetings and I do recommend them uh, to so many people as, as a healthy way. Even philosophers, you know, 200 years ago were saying that the best thinking comes from walking meetings. Emma, you and I, great believers in walking meetings. It really does help, I do find. Um, get the pets with us as well uh, and the pet count. I do, I, I'm not gonna forget that one. <laughs> Um, but um, beginning every meeting, people don't join a meeting until they speak. So always remember this. And often people start, a few people just talking and some are left out. So within the first five minutes, everybody's got to have a chance to speak. And one way of doing this is a success round. 30 seconds, what's working well in your work? And if you want to, if you want to make it more sociable in your work or your personal life. And they have 30 seconds to share that brings everybody in and they all start thinking that L prefrontal cortex gets lit up. So James, uh, would you start us off? You know, what, what do you think is a, a topic that we could perhaps in a, a future session next year discuss that's important or this year? I would welcome, I'd be interested to know, have a conversation about technology. It's a big subject, but perhaps, particularly since you've got some uh, people who are using technology in their work a huge amount, you know, what, what do we do to your panelists feel are the key technologies that they think are going to bring advantage to them both individually and perhaps commercially mm, that's interesting yeah yeah great could, could i just add one final thought on just just because you just on, on that on our conversation because i think something sharon said about dynamic i think it's important i may have been rather negative about some of my thinking about these meetings but i do think they have great advantage in a dynamic sense and if uh, stan mccrystal wrote a great book called team of teams and you need to build a network to defeat a network. Now, that's obviously a military operation, but there is a, a power you have of joining people together around the world very quickly 
to look look them in the eyes and have a conversation about something you're going to do and move in a dynamic make dynamic decisions because of the ability to use the technology we now have but great so slightly linked to the topic we'd like to talk about the, yeah the that we think can make a difference you know to our lives yeah very very good james actually i, I do like that one and uh, his latest book i think it's called risk it is called risk yeah he looks at risk yeah yeah, uh, and I would like to get him on the on the show actually at some stage. Uh, do you know him from before? Do you? Are yeah, you yeah, 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 from a lot. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Um, Emma, what would be a topic you think we should discuss? Um, something around talent management and development, recruitment models for the future, because clearly, uh, with people being so much moving so much more quickly, the investment you make in training, recruitment, and everything is uh, doesn't isn't paid off as over such a long period of time now and um yeah i think that that would be interesting yeah i think that'd be fascinating thank you uh for that um gary what do you think would be a great topic i'm going to jump right in the middle between uh, james and emma i think uh, productivity uh with, with technology how do you do that uh today and then uh, finally i think um how do you maintain develop and uh nurture relationships when we're also remote i think that's a pretty important topic yeah right Fantastic. Um, so, uh, Brian, what, what would you say would be a great topic for one of these uh, forums? Yeah, I think I think an important topic would be dealing with conflict in the home. You know, there's every everything going on in the world right now. There is the biggest civil war I've ever seen. That's, somebody's for this, somebody's for that, across many different topics. And the home is supposed to be a safe environment. Uh, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see you know, whoever is speaking and different age groups and whether they're a parent or a sibling or, or a son or a daughter, like how do you create that safe environment home where you're talking about these um, situations that's going on around the world? And, and, and to me, the family unit has to be strong for anything else in your life to be strong. Um, and you need to have a safe place to go. And I don't, I don't think anybody really has that right now. So, and again, everything I speak are from my experiences and what I see, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. would love to love to hear some other people's thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's fantastic and a really good a really good topic. The creating a psychologically safe environment. Sam, what, what do you think would be a great topic that we should uh, discuss in one of these? Um, I think for for me, it'd probably be about health and well-being. Um, you know, I think the construction industry um, has got some, some pretty bad uh, mental health statistics at the moment, and uh, I think sometimes we're we're, we're known as a pretty uh, slow and not very innovative industry really so maybe there's things we could learn from from the city and from from uh, from others that we could uh, bring back into construction yeah that'd be great it's, it's a really good topic thanks sam so um sharon your, your topic and then really you'll leave us yeah. with a, a final couple of top tips for how we cope <laughs> the endemic that as we've described it yeah mm. um well, I think that the way we're working can actually have a negative effect on inclusivity, equality and diversity. And, and I think thinking about how we try to maximise um, inclusivity, despite the challenges we're facing in the ways that we're working, I think is a really important topic. And I think that really links into several other suggestions around sort of, um, you know, family and so on. But I think that's, that's uh, for me, a, a, a really important one. Yeah, great. And, and your final, before I wrap up, your, your final bit of advice for, for us all in the future with what's going on with COVID and how we, we live with this, because it's, it's mm. going to be with us for a while, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we are. I think 
first thing I would say is that we're going to learn to live with COVID-19. And the difficulty of that is it's living with uncertainty. And so we're, it's not clear what the virus will do next, uh, its next uh, trick, whether another variant will emerge. And, and so I think maintaining a flexible attitude to the way we respond, knowing that we will be learning to live with this over, over some years is going to be really important. But in addition to that, I think learning to live with uncertainty means that learning to live in the moment and enjoying the moment is also really important in our lives. So we get some joy out of every day. Um, so that would be my last, my last tip. That's a, a great tip. And, and I, I think uh, it really resonates with me having, as you probably know, lost my brother who died a few weeks ago, uh, far too young and before his time. Um, and you, you suddenly realise that you need to make most of every day because you don't know whether you're going to wake up tomorrow, not to make it a fearsome environment because it can easily become a scary one, but just to really be present and appreciate. When you're with someone, be with them, be in the room with them or be on the call with them but end the call if you can't be with them and get on with the other thing you've got to get to it. So can I just say thank you uh, to the whole of the team that we had, Sharon Peacock, James Bashel, Emma Kane, Brian J. Esposito, Sam Mercer, Gary Laney. It's been a real pleasure being with you all and thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom. See you all again soon. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.